honestly, I was just working my way up to death. I thought about killing myself every day. I was using all the time, and I, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. My brother shot himself because of drugs. When you are using technology to lure children for sexual purposes, there's a couple of problems that concern me. But I remember feeling kind of relieved after hurting myself. Do you have any idea how much you were worth? I like to say it this way, great people are really built in the furnace of affliction. Our teens are navigating a world of information anarchy and increased stress and pressure. Drugs are glorified more than ever before and there seems to be a suicide option that didn't exist prior. As adults, we are responsible to provide the help at-risk teens need. Have teens changed or is it just the world they live in that's different? Is this why so many teens are traumatized or triggered? My name is Aaron Huey and in 2009, I opened a home for these teens with the hopes of giving them a second chance at creating the life we all know they deserve. Now I want to give parents the information that contributed to our success and to support them in navigating the at-risk world. These are the stories told by the teens and the techniques used by experts to help them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I was talking to my two guests off the air, and one of the things that I uh, said to them was that the moment the topic about uh, screens, social media, video games, phones, personal computers, having an iPad as a, as a very young child in school, the moment that com comes up, when I'm doing a, a parent conference or I'm doing a parent class at an elementary school, the moment the question about addiction and screens, any kind of screen is asked, I can kiss the next hour and a half goodbye because parents are concerned about it. They're worried about it. They're frustrated with it. They don't know how to reset the boundary structure once they've let things go too far. There are parents who are really worried that they keep saying no and all the kids have these cell phones. And I will tell you, being the parent of two grown uh, young adults now, 22 and 23 at the time of this podcast, I wish I had done the, the cell phone thing differently. If you've listened to any of the podcasts in the past with Sergeant Harris and you understand how pedophiles use cell phones and screens to get our kids, if you've heard me ever talk about some of the kids we've had in the facility in the past with their video game dependency, it should cause concern. And the truth is there's so much information out there about uh, uh, screens, addiction, how it affects the brains that I know that parents are concerned because every time I'm talking to them, the moment it comes up, that's what we're going to talk about. For the next half hour, I, we're going to talk to the experts about this. I, I've got some great guests for you today, and we're going to be talking about what's going on with kids and screens and if you have an opportunity, check out a little behind the scenes uh, video we did about Gen X and screens. It's very short, very quick. I'm a Gen X parent. I still struggle with my screen time. And now I've got a, a phone that tracks how much screen time I use each month. And it's brought an awareness to me about how much time I'm spending on Facebook. So welcome to Beyond Risk and Back, parents. I'm your host, Darren Huey. All right, folks, I have Tracy Markle 
and Dr. Brett Kennedy with Digital Media Treatment and Education Center. And you guys are in Boulder, Colorado, right? That's correct. Awesome. Uh, so what I, uh, what I know, as soon as I said they're from Boulder, Colorado, that I'm going to get some eye roll from some of my parents who listen to the show. But I raised my kids in Boulder. I love Boulder, Colorado. I educated my kids in the Boulder school system. And I was a, a teacher at a lot of those schools and still am deeply connected. So I absolutely love Boulder. And I'm not that far away, folks. But tell me first, tell our listeners first, Tracy, what Digital Media Treatment and Education Center is? You guys call it DTEC. What is DTEC? When did you guys form this? How did this start? Sure. So it officially opened its doors a couple years ago. Dr. Kennedy and I worked together for a number of years because we have specialized in digital media overuse issues in our work as mental health and addiction specialists. Uh, we joined forces and decided that this issue was becoming larger and larger and a lot of families were not sure what to do and they were getting a lot of misinformation on how to handle this issue. So we created a center uh, with a team of people to be able to provide education, uh, clinician consultation, trainings, and more importantly, uh, support to families and parent education and coaching. We provide individual therapy, family therapy, and group therapy. Uh, so the center uh, covers a lot of different areas as far as providing support to our community. Dr. Kennedy, what is the age range of the, of the clients that you have? Do you, do you work with Gen Xers, or are you working with their kiddos, or are you working with the millennials' kiddos, or are you working with the millennials? All of the above. Um, nice. We, we operate a the treatment that we provide is a systemic based treatment. So we tend to focus on the family, um, which uh, allows us to actually um, some of the time hit all of those generations. Um, generally um, for working individually with clients, uh, we work with, with teenagers and older, but we we've seen families with children as young as seven. I know just from looking at the video, uh, a lot of my par parents are listening on the podcast, but I know from looking at the video of us all talking together, we're all talking on laptops. I just showed you my phone. Dr. Kennedy, you got some, uh, 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 some headsets in from a certain phone manufacturer that's very popular. So yeah. we're all using screens and we're all using this technology that we're going to be trying to bring some truth to families about. So I'm going to start with the burning question that I know a lot of parents have. How much screen time is too much screen time for a child? Well, I, th I think it depends on the age group that you're speaking to. Um, our experts around the country, and we agree, talk about not allowing any screen time at all for ages zero to two, unless it's a uh, a FaceTime type of interaction with grandparents or somebody who doesn't live in the area. And then we move up to the three to five year old age range and they only recommend up to an hour a day, including TV, broken into 20 minute increments. And they are encouraging only pro-social applications and no mobile devices in this age group, which includes cell phones, iPads, Chromebooks, that kind of device. 
The same for the next group up, the six to about 12-year-olds. They're also strongly discouraged mobile devices, which includes cell phones and Chromebooks. And for that age group, it is an hour a day, and they recommend that there's no screens whatsoever in, in the bedrooms, um, and that it's in a central location in the house, like on a PC that can't be moved. And then we move into the interesting age group of the 13 to 18 year olds, which um, based on your child, and we see a lot of risk factors. So you have to consider your child's presentation because it's difficult to treat them all the same, uh, whether or not they can handle a mobile device at that age. If they have ADHD and attentive type or they're highly impulsive and risk taker, they may have a harder time with managing the device in a healthy way. The same with um, having access to video games, especially violent video games. So we tend to see an area of about 16 as an ideal time to introduce immersive technology where it's used as entertainment. A lot of what I'm speaking to, because a lot of the middle schools and elementary schools now allow Chromebooks in the schools and there's one-to-one -one, um, that occurs, especially in our area where the, each child has their own device. And I was going to say that. That's, that's like, so, so whole school districts are moving towards that, that six to 12 years old is that every single one of them is getting some sort of electronic device to manage homework and, and everything. Like, how do, we, how do we work with that then? One of the things that I think to your point, even when you introduced us, we're all on our, our computers, we have our devices. I just want to say we're not, we're not anti-technology, but we approach this that technology, we have a relationship with technology and a lot, the devices are tools. And then on those tools are platforms that in and of themselves have different um, consequences of their use. They could be entertainment, they could be communicative, they could be educational. So when we're really looking at this issue, it's, it's not so easy to have a one-size-fits-all answer because it's an interactive and multi-layered relationship. And that's one of the things we're, we do in our work is to try to speak with parents, children, teachers, and find out where the, um, where the challenges are and to, to educate people also on things they may not consider as potentially dangerous or problematic in, in their use. I, that, that brings me to a question about which parts are dangerous because um, certainly we're dealing with the anarchy of the internet, right? No one's in control of the content. We'd like to say that there's filters and there's firewalls and we'd like to say that there's apps that can lock out certain websites. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that it's the first real experiment in anarchy that we've ever seen. Um, and it's the sum total of human knowledge. And because of that, we have no real uh, uh, ability to source the material anymore. Anybody can write anything about anything or put pictures up of anything and expose anyone to them. So, but, but when we're talking about a, a, a six-year-old who has 
who shouldn't be spending more, what were you saying, an hour and a day, and especially nothing in the bedroom, keep it centralized. All that makes sense because we want it, we want good boundaries, we want good monitoring, we don't want the screens around at nighttime. But now there's two hours of homework, you know, or now there's the homework piece. Is it the content on the device or is it what the device radiates itself that begins to affect the child? I'd say all of the above. I mean, there really wow. is um, research and facts behind uh, radiation that is emitted from our devices and through Wi-Fi. And they're noticing that it's causing ADHD-like symptoms in children. And this is a the new- Wi-Fi itself is causing ADHD symptoms. Because of the, um, it's the radiation that's being emitted from that. So it's a new area of science, but now we have a lot of evidence um, that it is a a real issue. And we have yet to even see that be uh, an issue that comes up in our school system. Right now, what we're dealing with with parents who are required to let their child use a school-issued device is, how do I handle this? How do I control their behavior because I don't want to allow it in their home? So when it comes to that, Aaron, that's really scary stuff because that impacts our uh, physical health too, not only our emotional and mental health and our development. And then the content itself, Dr. Kennedy, can you talk a little bit about how the content that some of these kids can stumble on accidentally that can be shared with them from an older sibling or a friend whose family has less boundaries. How does the content itself affect a child's brain? Uh, pretty significantly. The, um, you know, we know that a child's brain is continually developing. So what you put in is what is being reinforced and, and growing and developing. So, a lot of the obvious content that kids are coming across uh, intentionally or accidentally, uh, you know, for most parents, the, the a primary concern is pornography and access to, um, you know, dangerous situations with, with other people. So a lot of the online, um, the, the YouTube videos, video game, uh, video game streaming um, chat rooms designed for teenagers and above. These are prime areas in which um, predators and uh, pedophiles join and participate, largely in part because they have a tremendous amount of access to information about the kids getting online because kids don't think about certain consequences, privacy, and they're often open books. So they're likely to post pictures of themselves, they're likely to list their hometown, their phone number, different things like that in an effort to engage. So one of the things that we see a lot in brain development is with the brain developing, um, there's a concept called supernormal stimuli, um, which means that the brain is going to gravitate towards things that are bigger and better, brighter, faster, more colorful. And that um, there's been studies done where you can actually, uh, there was a butterfly study done where cardboard butterflies were painted 
bigger and more beautiful than the female butterflies and the, the, the real male butterflies were tempted to mate with the cardboard butterflies because it's just what our brain is drawn to. So all technology builds off of um, persuasive design and this idea of making everything bigger, better, faster, easier, and the developing brain is going to be drawn to that. So the problem with a lot of this is people's use of technology and their engagement is in isolation. We're on our phones, we're on the computer, we're in our bedrooms, we're in the basement. So the um, even natural kind of breaks that my generation would have gotten from the television or things like that are not as uh, facilitated anymore. And kids and young adults are just having constant access to constant amounts of information. And they can be easily exploited through this because they're kids. So if somebody is chatting with them and complimenting them and, and offering empathy to them, and there are plenty of interactive elements that would naturally keep a kid very satisfied with being online and in that isolation. Tracy, you had said something when we were offline, and this is what, what you guys are saying. This is, this is the part that fascinates parents uh, to no end. And this is the piece that comes out of every single one of their mouths. But uh, you, you, you brought it up in our behind the scenes conversation about Gen Xers using Facebook to connect with friends and families. But what I hear parents complain about is that's not real connection. That's not real connection. Like real connection is face to face and real connection is, is handshakes and pressing flesh. And I get that. But I also like to point out that we currently live in neighborhoods where the houses are built right next to each other with very, very tall fences. No one knows each other. And everybody isolates at home. I grew up, and perhaps you guys did too, in a neighborhood where when my mom rang the dinner bell, if I was out of earshot, it would be passed down the line of parents yelling at other parents, hey, is Aaron down that way? Yeah, he's around the corner. Bell's wrong, dinner time. And there was a network of a community um, that existed. And now the network is an actualized ones and zeros network. But I feel like as we separate, and as you say, Dr. Kennedy, in our basements, in our bedrooms, in our homes, that this, what these kids have found is the hole in the fence. And this is all we've given them to connect. We tell them that they should be connected face to face and don't say anything to someone online that you wouldn't say to their face and don't give information to anyone online that you have never stood... But then we're, we are isolated. We're isolated as a society now. It feels that way. So in your guys' opinion, is this connection or not? Are we connected? Well, I think as far as Facebook is concerned, you can look at it uh, two different ways. If you use it as a way station and you stop for a time, you check out pictures, you connect, you say hello, and then... Maybe that's 20 minutes of your day and you move on and you are face-to-face -face connecting with other people. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it's your destination point, if it's where you spend your time connecting and relating and getting caught up with the news, then we start to see an increase in mental health issues. And as you know, when we're more isolated, we tend to become more depressed and um, less happy with our lives. 
Right. And Tracy, when the when we use this as a way station, you said 20 minutes a day, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like The average user uses about 50 minutes a day of Facebook time. Five zero. Now I have seven Facebook pages and I use them to market my, our business, our residential treatment center. I use them to market my podcast. I use them to market uh, kids camps that I do in Texas. I use them to shameless self-promotion. Now, when we talk about this way station and calling it connection, what I know is that I will only post up on that Facebook page, and I'm a pretty transparent guy, I'm pretty, I'll be pretty out there, but I will only post what I want people to know about me. If the wife and I aren't doing well, I don't get up on, yeah, my wife said this, and I said that, and then she, and I'm sleeping on the couch. Like, that's not their business. Mm -hmm. That's number one, is that I control my profile, and number two, I'm assuming that others are doing that as well, and number three, if I don't like the type of stuff that's being shared, I have no problems unfriending people and really controlling my feet. I, 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 that's a big, that's a big deal to me. I don't, I was tired of being traumatized myself by getting online. I cannot imagine this with a kid where I get online and I see some of those dog abuse videos or, or something coming out of, of, of Asia. Now, it did inspire me to join the ASPCA, hope for pause in the International Humane Society and give them money every month. But I lost sleep and I don't want to see those videos. I want to help, but I don't want to be traumatized and lose sleep by it. So again, even as a way station, am I connected to truth? Do you guys see any of this as real and true connection? Well, I think that you have to look at um, the, how different generations and also different experiences of what connection means. Like you're also describing that you value privacy. Young people don't care about privacy as much as I do. I know, like, I was surprised when I discovered I had Yelp reviews for my psychotherapy practice that people <laughs> wanted to publicly put out there. Fortunately, they're good, but that they wanted to put out there that they had been in therapy. You know, it, while it's nothing to be not proud of, it just was amazing that they were so open about it. I think that the the interesting thing about so much information and data is that one might feel connected by uh, quantity versus quality. There's aspects of that we've seen with persuasive design with many of the apps that interaction is an emotional um, is an emotional impulse or a reaction but it's not something that's necessarily been fully integrated and thought through. So you're connecting to those dog videos, you're actually connecting and paying attention. It's quite possible, many people are just used to clicking on and off, like, don't like. It appeals, it doesn't appeal. It's very rudimentary. The dating apps are that way now, swipe right or swipe left, good, bad. So the, there is an element of um, technology that, is, that encourages people to not think and not really feel. So 
how they perceive that, I guess, is where we often see some challenges. Their connections and how they perceive them with people they've never met are real to them. This, that level of connection looks to my generation, the, the parent generation right now of, you know, teenagers and a little bit older and a little bit younger as apathetic disconnection. And that's what I think freaks a lot of uh, parents out is that, the, is that they can see these videos and it doesn't, but this is the question. They can, the parents are saying they see these things. It's so prevalent. It's so every day for them and it doesn't seem too effective, but the three of us know that it, it actually does affect. It them. does. Yes. Well, I think you have to um, recognize that the more often you see violent videos, uh, the more you become desensitized to their effects. So if children are watching them over and over playing violent video games, it impacts them less over time. And the part that I want to jump back to when you were speaking about how us as older adults, we want more privacy and children don't want as much privacy. I, I think we have to be careful to say want I, I, because it, it's perceived like they have a choice. And I think a lot of young people, it's really not a choice anymore. It's what I have to do. It's what's expected of me. And it's taken out of their hands in a way where they don't get to choose necessarily until sometimes it's too late. I think that's a very good point about context. And, and maybe that's one of the things about, uh, you know, the digital immigrant versus digital native argument that some, you know, technology came into my life. So I'm a digital immigrant. But digital natives, depending on when technology came into their lives, are also impacted by the technology and how it was brought into their lives. So with persuasive design, you know, uh, which is the architecture of tech to, to influence the user as a product, right? To, to influence the user to engage the technology. Many young people grew up with that as their, as the intro to technology and never actually saw they had a choice. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're in some ways being told privacy isn't important. Right. And when you know how long it actually takes to seriously get through a privacy statement on any technological device right. and to then that is also very thought out to send the message that privacy doesn't matter because rarely are people choosing privacy because I don't think it's really a choice. You talked, my God, you guys are certain terms want to jump off the air and research all of them so we can talk about them. And again, this, this makes me want to create another show with you guys, you know, digital immigrants, natives, persuasive design, uh, using it as a way station, super normal stimuli. These are all terms that, that I, I absolutely know my staff needs to understand and I need to, that, I, that I want parents to get. Um, and I, and I know parents feel completely overwhelmed by this phenomena of this version of connection, this version of 
privacy or non-privacy, um, this level of expectation that your life has to look a certain way. And I can't remember the term, but there's another term that, that I know when I talk about it, you guys will speak to. But when I'm online and I see someone else's profile and I get depressed that their life looks better than mine, oh and I've really, I've really... I've forgotten Sonder. And a lot of people don't even know what Sonder means, but Sonder meaning that everybody's life is as intricate and as complex as my own. But online, all they're doing is posting shopping pictures and vacation pictures. And there's no real, hey, here's me sitting on the toilet with diarrhea because I ate some bad sushi <laughs> last night. And that's real, but but we can actually, there's actually a, a, like a depression that can be caused by comparing ourselves to others online. What's that called? Well, what comes to my mind, and I don't know if I'm right, is uh, the FOMO uh, aspect. Yeah. Yes. Out. Okay. Which we hear about what? all the time from our college students that we work with. What is FOMO? Say, it's an abbreviation of? Sure. Fear of missing out. Yeah, that's it. Uh-huh. And underlying that, I, it's, uh, there's a lot of anxiety, and there's a lot of fear and insecurity. And, and I actually think that I, I, I've started thinking a bit about this, that um, because of the anxieties and insecurities, technology does allow people to attempt or to use smoke and mirrors to, to try to control things, to send the message they want. And that's what's sad is that it's, 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 it's very effective. It's that, it's that illusion of this is what it's like. And, but the brain, what's interesting is to your point, the brain can know that intellectually, but emotionally it sees so-and-so on their trip and they're like, they travel all the time. They have the better life. And even though you're using your filter to wipe out your zits and, you know, decrease your body fat, you're not, assuming that the person next to you is doing it. And that's why the brains is so interesting with technology. It, it, the, in, the amygdala is hijacked so often when people are online, that's the emotional center of the brain, which distorts and allows us to just feel what we feel. But, by the, but our frontal cortex is offline, mm -hmm. really. And if you're a teenager or you're developing brain, the frontal cortex uh, struggles because you're a teenager and it struggles if you use drugs and it struggles. I mean, it is, it is an assault on the frontal cortex through most of your early adulthood. And, so, and the frontal cortex isn't even developed yet as a teenager. Well, right. like it's it's, it's an, an a major point. overhaul point. Right. Well, so I, I just to jump in, Brad, I think, you're speaking to the impulse control, the struggle that they have to control their impulses because the prefrontal cortex is underdeveloped still. And I want to add that as a teen, they have more dopamine levels and receptors in the brain than they'll have at any other time in their life. So they experience rushes when they're on social media and playing video games in front of pornography that is unlike anything that most adults feel. So we have to recognize that too with the brain development. Mm -hmm. We have to talk about um, specifically video games because it's something we talked about off air. There was a book I was introduced to many, many years ago. I've mentioned it a few times on the show. I'll mention it again. It's called On Combat by Lieutenant Colonel uh, David Grossman, mm -hmm. who is a military psychologist or a psychiatrist or um, 
but I believe that was also one of his, his roles as well. But he wrote extensively about the studies they did in the military about measuring the brain waves of soldiers in live fire combat, actual combat being shot at, lives on the line, watching people die around them. And then looked at the brain scans of soldiers who were playing violent video games and said very bluntly, the same parts of the brain are being stimulated. The brain does not know the difference between real violence and video game violence. And as a parent who allowed, we allowed our son to play Call of Duty, um, our son monitored himself very, very well. He would get the new game and he would play it and obsess about it for about three weeks he would master the game and then he would go back to skateboarding outside and being with his friends and focusing on his grades. We never felt really um, concerned with his, the amount of his video game use uh, as, a, as growing up. And we watched him handle it. Mm -hmm. Then I read these studies and I wonder how much trauma there is. So that's a question for you guys. And I like those video games. Games. I like first-person shooter video games. I don't play them anymore. But in my adulthood, after my prefrontal cortex was already developed and started rapidly declining, uh, I played those video games, and I like them. But Aaron, How that's much damage why was done. It you can't necessarily say because each person is an individual, and each person's ability and their other the variety of factors that go into how a person develops, how they process trauma, how they, their level of resiliency. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because it's one of the things that I think sometimes when technology is put out there, people want to say like it's good or bad, or this is terrible or that's not. It's a very, it's important to know the facts on things and then to be able to assess for you and your family individually many of your viewers may roll their eyes at boulder when you hear this word but finding balance <laughs> in a, but in a very thoughtful way is actually critical you have to assess is there is there a variety of activities that my child is engaged in how does my child deal with uh, aggression and empathy uh they have online friends that they connect with do they also have the ability what's their what's their experience with tactile in-person friends like it's it's about assessing the bigger picture it's important to know though that these games elicit these responses in the body so i'm a big fan of common sense if you know that a bo uh, your body can respond like this and your child is playing call of duty for five, 10 hours a day or up all night. These are just common sense kinds of things that something is likely happening to your kid that's probably not in the best interest of your child. Well, and, and you're right, Brett. And on top of that, we have uh, organizations that help parents understand whether a video game is appropriate for their child or not because we have rating systems. So we have one called Entertainment Software Rating Board, ESRB.org, that you can go to and plug in the name of the video game and it will pull up the rating 
It'll help you understand the content of what's in the game. So you'll know whether or not your child is mature enough to handle it. So if it says it's for mature only and your child's 12, that's an easy answer to not bring it into your child's life because there's a lot of gore and violence and sexual violence, potentially um, drugs and alcohol. And so I think being informed as a parent and knowing about those resources can really help alleviate the outcomes. I know one study that we, we've talked about before is when a parent checks the ratings of a child's game before introducing it, there's a dramatic increase in acting out behavior, whether it's bullying behavior or violent behavior outside of the game playing time. I, this this is definitely requires more conversation. There's so much that's being brought up here because if we're not, if we cannot establish, and it makes sense that we can't, if we cannot establish kind of a general baseline of how much is too much or, or how, you know, uh, which games are appropriate and which games aren't. I mean, there's an entire show that we could go through with you guys and say, what are the most dangerous things out there that your child child could be doing online um we could we could go through a whole thing just on how brain chemistry is being altered by these things we could go through an entire experience about bullying the the, the first you know recent news was that the first uh, uh there there was a young man who was found guilty for swatting online doing mm -hmm. online swatting and he was sentenced to three years in prison for having a SWAT team called because he didn't like something that was going on inside a video game that he was playing in an online forum. There's so much to talk about this, but knowing, knowing how much attention span we have as adults and <laughs> what's, what's been ruined, I need, we need to wrap around this part of the show to say, okay, so what are, give me four clear signs that a parent can hold on to regardless of the age that their kid is having a problem. And then I need three tips that you can give parents who want to take control, set new boundaries, start over, hit the reset button on screen time in their home. So let's start with the four. What are four signs that you can say at any age? Oop, this is an issue. I need to look closer. Which one do you want to take Brett? Um, You've done this before? Wait a second, what's going on? I'm start. not the first person to ask you this question. No. <laughs> you start. Okay, so the four signs that their online behavior is not uh, healthy for them. Um, one of them is that they're isolated. Um, they don't have face-to-face -face friends. And um, a second sign is their grades are impacted in a negative way. They're not prioritizing homework. They're having a really difficult time paying attention in the classroom. Video games especially are fast paced. And when the child shows up to the classroom and has to listen to mundane, boring tasks, they have a hard time with attention and focus. Um, and the other areas, if they struggle with emotional regulation, they get frustrated really easily. They get angry. They um, have a difficult time with self-care. That would be the fourth. Um, prioritizing, brushing their teeth, eating, uh, sleeping is a major problem for them. Those would be uh, some of the top four that I would um, suggest parents take a look at. And some of, some of the way that you can use those guidelines and to also connect it to tech 
a lot of teenagers will struggle with hygiene or not, or kids not wanting to brush their teeth and things. But you can also see often if, if you're seeing it in relation to they're refusing to get off their devices or they're, you know, they're falling asleep on their devices. You know, I'm a psychologist, so I'm looking a lot at different behaviors like increased irritability, aggression. Um, to your point with online bullying, kids react to bullying online as they do to offline. It's shameful. They're afraid to tell anyone and they will um, try to keep it secret as long as they can. Because it's online, it's often relentless. It never stops and it can be group bullying. So if you suddenly see your child uh, with somatic symptoms, not wanting to go to school, getting sick a lot, being um, withdrawn, uh, there's those, you know, when you said there's so many issues and so many layers, I think that's one of the things that shuts a lot of people down from dealing with tech. It feels overwhelming. And in that, if you take each thing, and this is where the balance piece comes in, but you look at it and you say, hey, I'm going to start with a, I'm going to start with a time limit and see how my child responds to that. And if they move with it easily and they're working with you and there's not an issue, then you're sort of building off that. If you set some expectations and they punch a hole in the wall, you probably are already at a problem stage. Like there's something about just not getting overwhelmed by there's so much to do, but picking a point and saying, all right, we're going to start discussions on this. If you've never used the video game rating system, start. If you really don't know what's on your what video games your children play, make them show you, sit down, play with them, ask questions, let actually see it, get a feel, feel it out. See if you're drawn into it, see what it is that's appealing. So it's making that connection because tech disconnects. Um, it, it's, it's paradoxical. I, uh, I think Gene Twang who, who wrote iGen, which has a lot of great research on, um, on the relationship of, of this generation since tech came into their life, kids will report that they, that they really like social media and that it helps connect them and equally that it's very depressing and it's awful. So it's a, it's a, it's a complicated relationship and I think we just gotta not get overwhelmed by it and you have to start, see where you're at and then build off of that or reduce off of that. In a, you know, in a simplistic way. Dr. Kennedy, when I was, when I was asking for the tips, um, in my mind, I had things like, you know, set a behavior contract, take the phones away at nine o'clock, things like that. But you, you went some really base, very simple things that are getting the parents to focus inward on them. You said, you know, practice with some time, with some time limit setting. And things like that. Uh, start start working within the the rating system. Play with the kids. See what your experience is like, and use it as a connection experience. And and dance within that dichotomy of is is it disconnect? Is it really connect? And I think I, that's that's brilliant. And I I, I want to talk, Tracy. You talked about how do you know if, if we've got problems? Isolation, grades dropping, emotional regulation is is struggling, and self care. Um, you know, is self care suffering? And these are good basic things that I think every parents can embrace. 
last night as I was scrolling through nine gag, because that is one of my, I love memes. I, I absolutely, I laugh out loud at them. I get intrigued by them. I find them totally profound. I saw two memes that stuck out to me last night. The first one was a meme of a, uh, 11 year old child whose mother had to feed him now because he wouldn't get off the video game. So while he's playing the mother's stuffing food into his mouth, and I read the comments of all these other people who are doing the exact same thing I am, which is spending hours scrolling online, uh, looking at other people's lives, um, and watched how they belittled the entire experience. And I know what I would tell a parent if they said, my, my kid won't even eat. I, I would ask them, who's paying for the internet? And that's, that's, a, that's a big consequence. It's a consequential conversation that, that leads to guilt and shame in a family. But then what came up after that, that I think is kind of telling is someone posted, if your Wi-Fi went out, would you still be an activist? And that was really profound because I, you see a lot of, you know, armchair politicians, especially in my generation right. who are screaming bloody murder about what is going on politically, socially, environmentally, and I wonder if we unplugged, would we still march? Would we march? Would we hold signs? Would we storm the Capitol? Would we, would we set ourselves in place? So there is, a, there is a, a, a pretty dichotomous life because, again, these things that I found wisdom and emotional experience over, I found online. And I found while I was scrolling. And I found while I was wasting time and, and, and deregulating by relaxing in front of the computer. And this is, this is some things that this bars further examination. I want to make sure that we do not leave without families being able to resource you guys. So please cough up all the contact information so the families can find you. Do you have an online form that they can join? Is there something they can download when they go to your site? What, how can people get in touch with you? I know this is going to inspire more questions. Well, I think it's important to visit the website, which is digitalmediatreatment.com. You can also call and request a no-cost consult with Dr. Kennedy or I. We're happy to do that. And that's 303-635-6753. And so those are a couple good resources. And we have a Facebook page for Digital Media Treatment and Education Center as well. And then, Brett, did I miss anything there? Yeah, on the website, um, you know, a big part of our mission is education. So on the website, we um, have uh, blogs uh, with critical information. And uh, there's also a media page where um, either articles or interviews that uh, Tracy or I have participated in or uh, there's, some, there, there's some talk. So we um, we're building we're building our site to just continually offer more resources and more education because that's really I think with anything um, I do believe that you'd be an activist offline and I I think that what people have to remember is to get offline and to feel out those differences so that's really what our mission is to help families find whatever that balance is in their lives and where they may be unaware that there's a critical imbalance. Say the phone number once again. I want to make sure that that's because this is a phone number for a free consult. So please say that again. It's 303-635-6753.
digitalmediatreatment.com. Did I get that right? That's you did? Okay. You guys, this is like my brain is spinning and I have, I have some other things. I'm, I'm really looking forward to meeting you guys in person on Friday, having you guys up to the facility to see it. Um, again, meet in person so I can be able to say some of the things in person that I would say to you offline. But one of the things I want to say in both places is that I want to I do more work with you guys. You guys are another level of this conversation that I think parents need to hear, not just my parents, um, but parents. And I've got, I've got some webinars coming up that uh, have quite a large audience that I would like to involve you guys in. So that is, that is the first thing. Uh, the second thing is thank you. I, I really, as I'm listening to you guys talk, I'm seeing what you've put together here. And there's a lot. There's a lot that parents need to know. This is a complicated issue in the in the sense that it can be solved. And this is a complex issue in the sense that emotionally it cannot be solved. And I think you guys are a go-to source for figuring out what we can handle and what we can't. Um, so Tracy and Brett, thank you guys so much. Hang on the line for a second while I, while I sign off just for a second, okay? Absolutely, thank you. Parents, the, the, the closest I ever got to sounding like an expert when it came to talking about uh, media and stuff like this was I had a, I had a mom say to me, um, you know, please remember families. I work with the kids who uh, a parent said to me, uh, when I took my daughter's cell phone away, she tried to kill herself. Those are the kids that end up coming to fire mountain. So if you think your child is at that level, um, that, and they need residential care, a, if you need a second opinion, get one. And B, call us at 303-443-3343 so that we can uh, help assess your child. If we're not the right place, if your child does not need treatment at, at residential level, we're going to say so. Um, but, but the assessment process is free. But I had a mom say to me, how, how do I know if, if this is a problem? Uh, because they really freak out when I take their video games away. And I said, if you were taking their pills away or their alcohol away and they did exactly what they're doing with the media, would you be concerned? I said, oh, yeah. It's like, then be concerned. Because, because when we talk about addiction, we have to stop looking at the substance itself and to argue whether or not it's addictive. I don't care whether marijuana is addictive. I see what people have done, and I've been one of those people who've done the things that shows that I'm an addict. I know razor blades are not addictive, but I see children act like junkies with regards to them. And we know scientifically that video games and screen time changes brain chemistry. So it can, in and of itself, be addictive. So I want you to make sure that if you have more questions, you go to digitalmediatreatment.com or call 303-635-6753 to, to really get some good advice on that. And you got to take care of yourselves first, parents. And you take care of your adult relationship second so that if your child is struggling with screens, with video games, with social media, you can take care of them. You've got to be in your best place to take care of a child. And if you're not taking care of yourself and, and listen, coming home from a hard day of work and drinking two glasses of wine and binge watching game of Thrones is not taking care of yourself. So you don't get to use the screen as an escape just because you're fully developed. True self care 
leads to true care of your adult relationships, your parenting partners, your spouses. And that can lead to really, truly being able to take care and model self-care for your kids. As always, I want to thank Kristen Walker, the boss goddess at Mental Health News Radio for her love and support of our show. I want to thank Daniel Cropper, our super fine editor, who's going to tear this apart and put it back together even better than it was. And I want to thank the parents of Colorado and of Australia for making us the number one podcast in Colorado and Australia for parenting. Thank you so much. Spread, listen, like, subscribe, and share so that other parents can get the support on Beyond Risk and Back. I'm Aaron Huey, and we will see you next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility, and also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com.